like ESWAS is a great example. That's like the warfare device that you can get proving that you're um, an enlisted surface warfare specialist. And that used to be optional. So it used to be like a thing that you would do if you really wanted to like work hard and set yourself apart from your peers. You would be like, all right, I'm going to go work really hard for the next year and a half and get my enlisted service warfare specialist pin. Uh, and then, and then like, you'll like earn the respect of your peers and they'll, they'll finally be like, wow, like you, you good for you. You really worked hard for that. Welcome to How I Embraced the Suck, a podcast where you get to hear from veterans what life in the military is really like. I am your host, Walt. And before we start, you should know that I do not censor the show in any way. You have been warned. Um, not often. I'm not really in the Bitcoin oh, really? sphere. Yeah. And they're, they're pretty Bitcoinish, aren't they? Yeah. They started show? out as like more of a libertarian podcast and like in recent years have kind of become more so okay. a Bitcoin podcast. Okay. I would say now that they were originally, they were like libertarian focused. Now they're like Bitcoin, but like most Bitcoiners are kind of like libertarian flavor. So I, sure, sure. So I don't think it's really unique <laughs> to say that they're Bitcoiners who are libertarians, but. Yeah, they're probably on the um, political political square. They're probably all south of center. They're they're great guys, man. Yeah. Well, today we've got Hack with us, who um, wanted to be a Navy SEAL, and uh, is now glad he didn't. Yeah, I probably guess going... that's one way to put it. <laughs> Among other things, maybe. <clears throat> Actually, that's one of those things that's like it still kind of keeps me up at night, you know, cause it was like, mm. I still, I still have dreams. Like I still have dreams that I've got to go back to buds. Oh, usually, usually it's the same dream. It's like, okay, you have to go back to buds like tomorrow and you're not ready at all. And like, you're going to fail horribly. And like, you already know you're going to fail horribly. Like it's, it's going to just be a total joke. You're not, you're not even going to be able to make it through like the first hour. Like that's usually my, my like recurring nightmare. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's pro- probably, I mean, I think a lot of nightmares are kind of that, like that stressful situation, even, whether something has or has not happened. That makes sense. Well, I think too, like a lot of stress. Like, uh, it's, it's, so I, I think I talked about this with, uh, Roland Slappy, but like, all. um, so like when, whenever you go to like do something like that, like we want to go try to become a Navy SEAL or like, like an art, maybe like an army ranger or like, like any type of those. Do you want to join like one of those more elite special mm-hmm. forces communities? Um, special forces is the army special operations is the Navy. Um, you, you kind of have to like reinvent yourself a little bit. Like you're, you're, I you kind of have to like kill off your old self and your new self is like, that is who you are. Like you are the Navy seal prospect, you know? And, and that sure. it, it like becomes a really big part of your identity. And a lot of guys really struggle with the other side of that. Like if they don't become um, like Navy SEALs or whatever, like Navy, uh, Navy SEALs are the, probably the best example because I think as far as I know that that program probably has the highest attrition rate 
like out of any other community and not just that but the navy is a unique beast because guys signing up to go be navy seals and like jump out of planes and you know scuba dive and all that crazy stuff um rather than doing that they end up shuffled into the navy's career pipeline which is like means that they're gonna end up like chipping paint it's not like um it used to be a lot like the program used to be a lot different like it's really changed a lot in the last like a few decades like it used to be that the navy recruited internally Mm -hmm. for navy seals so it was like give me your best radio technician give me your best boatswain's mate give me your best gunner's mate we're going to send all of them to buds and the the best ones we're going to shake them up and the best ones are going to become navy seals sure now um probably like 90 percent of the guys who go to buds are fresh off the street like no military experience and then there's maybe like maybe 10 percent. at least this is how it was when i went through that was like back in 2015 2016 so Granted, things could have changed since then, but like probably 90% of the applicants were, were new to the Navy. Um, so they don't have like a career to fall back on. They don't have really any experience. So like um, I still struggle like to, to a certain degree, a little bit like deep inside my soul with that, that internal value. Like, oh man, I never became a Navy SEAL. Like I still feel like a little bit of a loser, you know, because, because of the mental, um, the mental anguish that like mm-hmm. the, the the pipeline kind of puts you through to like convince you, okay, there's two types of people in the world. There's winners and there's losers. Winners become Navy SEALs and losers don't. Um, right, right. And and like, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to be like, oh, I can't believe that the Navy made me believe that. Because to some degree, like I, I actually, like I think that that's true. Like sure, really the incredible best the best. people. Yeah, that persevere. Like – I have nothing but respect for Navy SEALs. They're all incredible humans. In fact, all the people I went through the training with were incredible humans. Um, just absolute top caliber, just incredible people. Um, so like to some degree, that, and that's where I think kind of think that nightmare comes into play is that it's really just my subconscious mm. like trying, like poking myself with like what what I hold as like this deeply rooted inadequacy, you know, is like you'll right. never be good enough. You even if you went back today, knowing all that you know now, you'll never be able to do it. You'd never be able to achieve what you wanted, um, what you set out to achieve. And like, you know, you you, you do have to live with that. Um, at the end of the day, like I I heard a master chief. Uh, I met a guy when I was in training, and he was the youngest guy that Dick Marchenko ever brought on to SEAL Team Six. He he. Went on to SEAL Team 6 in the mm. 80s when he was 18 years old. Nicest guy in the world. He, he was yeah. like a retired Master Chief when I met him. Nicest guy in the world. But his nickname in the teams was Body Bag because he killed so many people. You would never know it talking to him. Nicest guy in the world. And um, he told me, I remember him telling a story about how someone reached out to him. He was like, man, I, I went to Bud's like 20 years ago and, and I, I failed out. And I've never been able to stop thinking about it. Like I could never get it out of my head. Like it, it's always just kind of consumed a little part of me inside my mind. Yeah. Like, how do I, how do I break away from that? How do I um, deal with that? And the guy was like, honestly, man, I don't know. <laughs> I never had to deal with that. I don't know. Right. Like, I don't think you can like, don't know what to tell you. So, I and mean, that's, that's huh. just a little interesting anecdote there. Yeah. So you say it changed. Um, one question I had. So before, before it changed, when they were, when the Navy was recruiting internally, um, if everybody knows that you, when you can always go on the swim deck and ring the bell 
and boom, you're done, right? That's like yeah. a real pressure thing is, well, yeah. if you're not tough enough, go ring the bell, right, sissy? And uh, so back in the day, where would, if someone did ring the bell, would they go back to their original job? Yes. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. So then when the, when it changed, and like you're saying, when they... Um, it's so if you if you read the book like uh, I think mm -hmm. I think it, it was either Lone Survivor or American Sniper, I think Lone Survivor. Okay, um, Marcus Luttrell kind of goes into like a little bit of detail about what it was like back then because like he he came into the Navy with the intention of becoming a Navy SEAL, which was not it sure. wasn't like unheard of, but it wasn't like all of the applicants coming in were were like that. It but so the way it worked for him was he went to his A school first for whatever. So he picked a job. So seal sure. didn't used to be seal didn't used to be a, um, a rating. So the Navy uses, it's kind of like the equivalent to the army's MOS, uh, the Navy, Navy in the Navy, you have ratings. Uh -huh. Um, so you seal didn't used to be a rating. Now it's its own rating. So you're like an SO3, SO2, oh. SO1, okay. SOC and so on. Um, seal used to be like a specialty that you could have. So, so seals used to be like ETs and BMs and GMs and whatever. And they sure. were like, parentheses seal right uh and it wasn't until they made seal its own rating that guys came in under the so rating and then once they flunked out of the pipeline they became uh like basically Open needs contract. of the navy because at that point they didn't have a rating but like yeah. when marcus luttrell talks about in his book he came in i forget what his rating was i think it was like a radio man he came in as a radio man went to a school to become a radio man or whatever it was. I don't remember what his rating was. And then he went to buds and had he failed out of buds, he would have went back to whatever rating he would have went back to the community for whatever rating he was a part of. Right. Right. But now um, if somebody comes in attempting to become a seal and flunks, they essentially have an open contract, right? They can go, they Correct. can be assigned. They're at Correct. the will of the Navy. Yes. And, and it, and it really isn't like, there's no, like, my my little misconception, and and I don't know why I had this misconception. I think it was mostly like mental gymnastics because nobody like it, generally like people are pretty. If you talk to the right people, like they're pretty like. I, well, so look, before I go there, I had a recruiter lie to me, like and tell me that um, like you know that classic like recruiters lie to you story. But like I the first recruiter that I interacted with, and I I went into his office with like with with a plan. I was like, this is what I want to do. Here's how I'm going to do it. Like, how, how can you help me do this? Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, no, yeah. So if you want to be a SEAL, what you have to do is um, sign up to join the Navy. Go pick any job. It doesn't matter what the job is. You'll go to boot camp for that job. And then when you get there, they'll let you screen to become a SEAL. And that was how it worked like 30 years ago. And I sure. don't know if he was lying to me. You know, maybe he was lying to me um, right. to just try to get me to sign up right then and there. I knew that he was full of shit. Uh, and it was only because like I had already done my homework beforehand. I walked right. out of his office and I never talked to him again. I went to a different guy. Um, right. So, so I, I kind of distracted myself there, but like I went off on a tangent, but I, I felt like that was important to like kind of fit in there. Um, it wasn't until after that, like I talked to another guy who was, he was like honest with me. Like, yeah, when, if you fail out, like it's a roll of the dice, what, whatever happens next is like totally up to the Navy. I kind of had it in mm -hmm. my head where I was like, well, I hear that. But like, I've always been able to be the kind of person like I can make miracles happen. Like I, I can, right. I could, I could probably get in good with someone or like, you know, use my gift of gab or like just, just, or prove myself, you know, good enough mm -hmm. to let someone will say, well, this guy's really good. Like, we're not gonna let this guy go to waste. Like we're going to give this guy a good opportunity, you know, or like this guy's really qualified. He's really smart. 
like he enlisted with a bachelor's degree. He has a really good ASVAB. He's really like motivated and, and just a dedicated and just all around good human being. We're not going to let him, we're not going to let him slip through the cracks like this. Um, right. I was so totally wrong. Well, I, I, I was very naive to, I was not, I don't think I was very naive, like at the age of like 23 when I joined the Navy, 23 or 24, I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was naive to the ways of the bureaucracy. That is the United mm. States government, the Department of Defense. It is a cold, unfeeling, disgusting, bureaucratic machine. And and unless you've like lived in it day in and day out and like bled in it and like eaten in it and slept in it, like you don't know just how cold and emotionless and unfeeling and stupid, like just how stu- like meaningless and stupid it is like a lot of like 90% of the things that happen in the military, they happen just because somebody somewhere a long time ago made that protocol. And everyone mm. follows that protocol with unthinking, unquestioning loyalty. Like you, you can be the, you can be outside sweeping water during the rain and everyone will look around and just be like, man, yeah, this sucks so bad. But no one, <laughs> like no one's ever like no one making the decisions is ever like, why are we doing this? Right. Like, why don't we just not doing this? You, what it's, do you mean? It's safer like, we, to we always do this. We always yeah. do this when it rains. It, it says on that piece of paper inside the building that this is what we're supposed to do when it rains. And it, and it's like a hyperbolic example, but I these types of things actually happen. Like I'm not even exaggerating. That's a, that's an extreme example, but like those types of things, just all throughout um, the the way the Department of Defense is structured and like hmm. all of its branches, like the way they operate, protocol to the letter. So like this naive misconception that like, Oh, I'm this awesome dude. I've come in, I volunteered for the hardest job. Everyone in the Navy is going to respect me because if nothing else, they're going to see that like, you know, I came in and I wanted to like really, really just give it my best shot. Honestly, the opposite was true. So like what I found was that a lot of the people who, so first of all, everyone that you meet in the Navy, and this is kind of true in general, but like particularly in the Navy has a story about how they almost became a Navy SEAL too. Yeah, I was going to do that. Yeah, I was going to go try to become a Navy SEAL, but oh man, like I hurt my knee and I just, uh, yeah. Uh, or, you know, oh man, I was going to do that, but like, oh, I just don't really like the cold. And, right. Oh, I, my cousin is a Navy SEAL. They all have like one or two degrees of separation to like in their head to kind of rationalize that like what you did really wasn't that special. And right. in a lot of ways, they're probably like jealous of you that you even attempted it. Um, and, and they think, well, like I probably could have made it. That guy is a loser. Cause he didn't make it. Cause there's like, again, that like internal, uh, value hierarchy that like, is kind of beat into you by this bureaucracy is that like, well, yeah, there's the winners who are the ones that make it. And I, if I had gone, I would have been one of the winners. That guy is a loser. Uh, cause he went through it and he, he didn't make it. So it's kind of right. like the people who don't try at all are almost valued more highly than the people who do and fail. Which is the opposite of the way real growth happens in the real world. Right. right? It's like right. growth happens by trying and failing. Uh, and, then, and then that's where you grow. Like you don't grow from trying and succeeding because that's something that you were already grown enough to do. Right. Mm. Um, so the Navy has like this weird culture that that really, really looks down on. They call the Navy calls it bud studs. Um, so like right away, no matter where you go, you're already labeled as kind of like a bit of a loser, a wild card, a loose cannon, like. Um, probably not going to be a good worker, like probably going to have a bad attitude. Uh, if if oh, you're yeah. a dropout, if you're a yes, dropout. Yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 You're, you're called like labeled like from the beginning. Um, so that was the opposite of what I expect. And, and a lot of it, you know, like a lot of it guys do bring on themselves because 
afterwards, like they, they go through a lot of culture shock. A lot of guys become suicidal. They become alcoholics. They become hmm. really disenfranchised with the military in general. Um, they, they, they come up with ways to get kicked out. Like they, they break rules. They pretend to be depressed or insane. They smoke drug or smoke weed or like whatever mm-hmm. it is. Like they, they find ways out. They get lawyers. They try to break their contracts. Um, a lot of guys like kind of up in, like they kind of veer the other direction in terms of like the path that they were treading, like in terms of like in pursuit of like honor or, or whatever it is. They kind of say, actually, no, you know what? No fuck this and and they go like a complete 180 and mm. and that does kind of build uh like a bit of a reputation that 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 creates like that that value hierarchy where people kind of look down on these right. guys but um but at the same time like that that's not really an excuse you know what i mean because everybody's an individual uh and by and large like most of the people that i knew in buds even the guys that failed out like were generally pretty top tier people there were some some dirtbags for sure but um certainly like generally speak speaking like more motivated more well put together like smarter stronger faster than the average person right so like if nothing else they had a little more to offer than 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 the average person and and regardless of like what people think of like about that like it it is true like people are objectively you know bring more to the table some people objectively bring more to the table than others um sure a lot of seal guys that that go through seal training have college degrees like i would say probably 60% 60% of the guys that I went through the pipeline with hmm. were were college graduates uh, that had enlisted with college degrees knowingly like because because they could have went and gotten a commission. It's, sure. it's almost impossible to get a commission and go become a Navy SEAL. It's very, very difficult. It's very, very competitive. There's a very small number of slots. Hmm. Uh, a lot of those slots are reserved for guys that come out of the Naval Academy or West Point or the Citadel. Um, it's very hard to be like Joe Schmo bachelor's degree, go become a commissioned Navy SEAL. Like it's, it's hard to even get picked up. It's a lot easier to get picked up with an enlisted, uh, for enlisted SEAL. And like I said, so like 60% of those guys have bachelor's degrees. Some of them had master's degrees, right? I, I went, I enlisted with other guys that had master's degrees that flunked out and ended up chipping paint. So, and, and you get guys coming in from like other branches too, that already have established careers. Like. My buds class had a Marine Scout sniper in it, uh, two pararescue guys from the Air Force, uh, people that come like guys that like hmm. turn down NFL contracts. Like I had a, a pro college or a college football player that turned down an NFL draft pick to go try to become a Navy SEAL. He made it, but the the Marine Scout sniper, the P- pararescue guys, they didn't make it. They washed out. Uh, we had hmm. a bronze medalist Olympic swimmer in my class. He washed out. He didn't make it. Um, so it was like a, a lot of like really qualified, really incredible people that don't sure. make it. That are otherwise, like for all intents and purposes, like very successful people uh, who now for the first time in their life have to kind of contend with this feeling of being a loser and being put into a system that ostracizes them and labels them as a loser, like from the very beginning. Hmm. Um, so that tends to result in like a lot of a lot of spiraling and, and like a lot of bad behavior and, and a lot of um, it, it's it's really hard to navigate. I'll tell you what. So I, that all that is like a really long winded me- way of me saying that I was naive about how I would be treated. Should I attempt this and fail? I was kind right. of under this grand delusion that like everything would, would work out to not be so bad, but it was really way, 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 way worse than I could have expected it to be. Is it still possible to, to join the Navy and listen to the Navy and get a, 
a different rating and then try for seals? Yes, but it's very, very hard. Oh, okay. It's very, very difficult. Because um, they have so many people coming in off the street. Yes. So yeah. so you've got to think about this from the perspective of the bureaucracy, right? So for the bureaucracy, it's a numbers game. Um, mm-hmm. They need to get as many warm bodies into as many billets as they possibly can, right? And what is the number one, the, the one point in time in your military career when you have the most leverage is right before you join. Because at that mm. point in time, they don't have you, right? Like they don't have you at all. And they don't have their hooks in you yet. They haven't indoctrinated you yet. They're not paying you your bills yet. Uh, they haven't moved you halfway around the world yet. You know, you're not dependent on them yet. Mm, and sure. you can walk away at any time, right? So, so the point in time when you have the most leverage is before you've joined the military. And after that, like your ass is theirs. Like until you're, the day of your EAOS and in some cases even beyond that, like they own you. And you will do what they say. And maybe here and there, they might offer you an olive branch of like, hey, here's a good opportunity. But like, it's totally dependent on um, the numbers. Like, mm-hmm. what, are, what are our quotas? Like, what are like, are you going to get a reenlistment bonus this year? I don't know. What's the retention for your year group and rating look like? Like, it, it's, it's a total roll of the dice. And the only time mm. that you have any bargaining power uh, is when you you first join, and then you have a little bit of bargaining power when you reenlist, but it's a lot less than you do like when you first join. So, sure. so when you first join, so so by offering seal contracts, like here is a golden ticket to the coolest job in the world. Um, you want to go like learn all the best weapons and get paid to like jump out of planes and and scuba dive and and blow stuff up and and basically join a biker gang. You know, basically join the United States um, government's biker gang and just like roll around third world countries and like fuck shit up, essentially. Um, Well, here's an opportunity, but you have to sign, you know, six years of your life away to us. So there's a lot less incentive for the for the Navy to take because they only have a certain number of quota contracts per Mm -hmm. year for guys that they can send through this pipeline because it's a highly, highly specialized training pipeline. It requires a ton of money and personnel you know, to put guys through this training. Mm-hmm. So they're not going to, they're, I think realistically, like only, like I said earlier, like only about 10% of the guys that, that I went through buds with were guys that like had come from the Navy. So they were either, everyone calls them fleet returnees because typically they're guys who joined, tried to go to buds, failed, went and got another job and then tried to go back to buds. Gotcha. Okay. Um, very rarely it did happen occasionally but it's very rare that those guys never went to buds at all like typically they went once failed went to the fleet went back and then a lot of times they fail again um i don't think that the fleet the fleet returnees didn't have a very they had a pretty high attrition rate when sure. i when i was going through um hmm. which is interesting and and i think a part of it is psychological because at that point they kind of already have something to go back to um something familiar you know it's right. like it's you're kind of you're very much facing the unknown when you first uh, like kind of dive in. Like failure is not an option. Like when when you when you join, I think I think most ever, I think probably like ninety nine percent of the guys that I enlisted with, that like when I when I say guys I enlisted with, I mean like guys I went through the buds pipeline with because you, you go through every step together from like day one. You go to boot camp together. You're all in a division together. Then you go to prep. You're all in prep together. Mm-hmm. Then you go to Coronado. You go through indoc. You're all in indoc together, and then you go to your first class. 
uh, and you're all in your class together. And for like, for the most part, you're with the same guys for like six months, right up until the beginning of your first class. And then lots mm. of guys start dropping out. Some guys get rolled uh, and you get rolled into like other classes or whatever. But like, you, so you're with these guys for like a long time. And so like you build up a lot of like brotherhood and camaraderie and all that. Um, where was I going with that? Um, the fleet returnees have something to go back to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, 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 so failure is not an option. Own. So, like, yeah. you, you kind of build this idea of like failure is not an option. I'm not going to be the one to ring the bell. Like, oh, you right. guys are, I'm not the statistic. I'm not the 10% or the 90%. I'm one of the 10%. Like, everybody going through like has that in their mind. Right. There were very few people that, that dropped out like early on before it got really, 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 really rough. Like, really only a few people like dropped out in of the program and like boot camp and then probably maybe. 10 to 20% dropped out during like the prep school. Cause it, it was like really physical, diff- physically difficult, but mm-hmm. um, it didn't, it didn't really start like guys didn't really start like going through the meat grinder and just getting eviscerated until you, you get to like first phase of buzz. And then it just turns into just an absolute shit show. But um, the fleet returnees, they, they, when I went through, they joined up with us uh, in, I want to say in prep, but if you make it through a certain part of buds, you don't have to go back to prep or something like that. It's like really convoluted. I don't remember. I think if you make it through Hell Week, you don't have to end up going back to prep, but I'm not sure. So it was just so they kind of come in at the at the tail end, right when things are about to start get crazy. So they don't really like plug into the camaraderie right. quite as much. Um, they do like to some degree. Some of them like mesh right in, but like it's it's kind of they don't really like for them. It's not do or die. For them, it's like do or go back to what I was doing before. Um, as like a fresh as like a fresh guy coming in it's like all right there is literally no other option like it's it's literally succeed or die uh like literally that's what it feels like in your mind succeed Mm -hmm. or die because after this your whole life is over and some guys literally do take it to that that extreme i I had a number of friends kill themselves uh on Mm -hmm. the on the tail end of the program because they just couldn't cope with the failure like they couldn't cope with the with the idea with the loss of identity like they couldn't they could. They didn't want to call like their mom and their dad and their girlfriend and their friends back home, who they had all told that they were going to go become a Navy SEAL. They right. didn't want to like post on Facebook and like I'm no longer, you know, I'm not the Navy SEAL guy anymore. Um, hmm. They just don't want to deal with it. They couldn't deal with it. Um, it's really sad. It was really, really, really sad uh, to see guys take their own life because of that. Hmm. Do you think? Um... I guess kind of two aspects, the, the seals by, by changing up that system, they obviously got more applicants. Um, Yeah. Better and better qualified by like every stretch of the imagination, like smarter, stronger, faster, like doesn't even compare. Like, and I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what anybody says. Like I, I, there were probably like seals that would get mad at me for saying this, but like it is way, way, way harder now physically than it ever was in oh the past. okay like okay the standards are so much higher like the standards on paper haven't changed but the classes are stronger and faster than they've ever been like every single candidate is so much more prepared than they ever were in the past gotcha. so much like so much faster in the water so much faster on the beach like running when you do your timed because there's there's not a lot of like pass fail evolutions in buds it's mostly like can you make it to the end um in first phase anyway there's not like a ton of pass fail evolutions the only things that are really pass fail are like timed weekly timed runs and swims like a timed four mile run on the beach in Mm. in boots and pants a timed two nautical mile ocean swim 
And then there's like a few evolutions that are like, can you do this thing? Like underwater, not tying, life-saving, which is what got me was life-saving. Life-saving kicked my ass. It was like underwater wrestling, basically. Um, mm. and, and that was, oh, and the 50-meter the underwater breath hold, where you have to swim 50 meters underwater without coming up for air. Oh, okay. Um, that was about, and drown-proofing, drown-proofing, where you have to like swim with your hands and feet tied. Sure. Um, those are really like the only pass-fail evolutions. And, and first, first phase is like, four to six weeks long. They change it all the time. I don't know exactly, but when I went through it was, I think it was about six weeks. And after four weeks you do how week, which is like a week long of um, like no sleep, like 24 seven, just getting your penis crushed. Um, Absolutely like horrendous time. (laughs) Absolutely horrible. Uh, Like carrying a boat on your head everywhere you go. Like just eating cold MREs that they took the desserts out of. Like it's, it's just really <laughs> shitty. Um, so. Huh? So, yeah. So, well, so, so, excuse me. So that kind of answered my question. Um, yeah. And I cut you well, off. Sorry. No, 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 that's fine. I, I, um, the second half of it. So I'll, I'll kind of still ask him, but the second half of it is um, the, also, what the change has done is it has given the regular Navy a, uh, probably not a massive number, but a, a number of super yeah. high qualified, highly motivated people yes. who now, as you say, may find themselves chipping paint. Yes. So the, the, uh, the two part, the two part question is, do you think that this change has helped the SEALs as, as a unit or uh, help the SEALs to get better, can- better um, SEALs, I guess? And then no. also, do you think it? Has I think it had the opposite effect. The Navy. Okay. I think it. I think it had the opposite effect on the SEAL community. Now, now, bear in mind. Oh, I am sure. Not, I am not a Navy SEAL. I never became a sure. Navy SEAL. I was never a part of the community. I don't speak for their community. I don't pretend sure. to speak for their community. Um, but from what I saw, like as an outsider and as a guy who had some friends that made it through, like it had the opposite effect because the way it used to be was that the Navy sent its best to go become SEALs, right? Mm, like, okay. like, this is my best guy. Like, always does what I tell him to do. He's super dependable. He always does the job right. And he wants to go, like, try this this really super awesome. He wants to go join this elite community. And back then, Buds was more about, like, okay, we're going to take a normal, like, couch potato dude and, like, really, 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 really put him under a lot of stress and pressure. And if he's still standing at the end, then we're going to, we're going to let him try like the rest of the training. Cause like right. the first phase of buds is about just weeding people out. Right. It's not really any mm-hmm. real training. It's just a bunch of kick. It's kicks in the nuts, like over and over and over every single day, all day long. Um, so that used to be like, okay, we're going to bring these normal dudes out here. We're going to kick them in the nuts for four weeks. And if they're still standing, then we're going to start training them how to be seals. We're going to teach them how to scuba dive and blow stuff up sure. and shoot guns. So Now it's like, okay, we're going to take everybody off the street that's really fast and strong and go try to make them Navy SEALs. And okay, well, we're we're beating them really hard for this four-week period, but like they're all really, really, really fast and really, really, really strong. Um, And they're not quitting. So we have to hit them twice as hard as we used to, right? And and Hmm. in that process, like, yeah, you're weeding out you're selecting only for the strongest and the fastest, right? You're not mm-hmm. select. You're no longer selecting. Um, so, like, 
up until like so now there's like the buds pipeline doesn't account for like how do you select for the good people like the people that you want to work like the people that you want right. by your side in a firefight the the cool-headed guys who just get the job done like those are that's not what buds selects for anymore because of hmm. the way that applicant funnel works so so i've heard like just from what i've heard is like they have a lot of problems with like guys that are just aren't team players that like only really look out for themselves that like aren't interested in really anything but themselves like not this is you know obviously not the case across the board but just sure, that this sure. is an issue that they deal with now because the program pipeline doesn't screen um for like for good people like it used to it's 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 upfront it's very much skewed towards um who's the strongest who's the fastest who's still going to be here uh right. after after four weeks of torture because it literally is torture so it's like who can survive four weeks of torture um and and you don't necessarily you're not necess- you don't necessarily have good character just because you can survive four weeks of torture just because you were you were faster and stronger than everybody else that doesn't necessarily make you like a good like a good human that that other people like enjoy being around and want to work with and like want to be experiencing adversity with um, right and again just my my kind of outsider perspective I I think it had like a lot of negative effects on the community. I'm sure that there's probably other people that could speak to that much better than I could that maybe even they disagree with me a lot. That was, that's just my take on it. Uh, Mm -hmm. And and I, I don't even know, like as far as the Navy, like big Navy is concerned, Mm -hmm. I imagine it's probably been mostly neutral, if not net negative, because they get a lot of guys like me who under different circumstances, maybe would have made the Navy a lifelong career, but we're just so frustrated. Like, it set mm. such a bad precedent from the beginning sure, and, and beat me down so bad that it, it made me literally hate every single second that I was trapped in that prison of the Department of Defense. And I think like if, if I had commissioned and like I tried, I, I tried to change rates. Like I tried so hard to make the most of because I've always been one of those people is like, yeah, you know, like life deals you a bad hand. Like you just play what you got. Right. right and and right. I'm going to make the most of this. I really, 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 really tried like to make the most of my, like I tried to change rates. I couldn't because my year group was locked up as I came in during the Obama era drawdown. I tried to get a commission um, and I, I couldn't because circumstances kept happening. And that that's always yeah. how it goes. Like, it's always like, oh man, like, yeah, you were going to submit this, but shoot, the deadline was in August and it's September and you have to be at least six months out from your PCS. So you're going to have to wait till you get to your next duty station to submit that commission request. And, oh, shoot. Yeah, uh, I know you've been waiting on that 06 that you did that interview with to get you that paperwork so you can submit it for your commission request. But, you know, he's been out of the country sick because um, he, he had to get flown to a hospital. And, uh, shoot, sorry about that. Like, you missed the deadline again, maybe next year. And it was like, it's like that kind of, st- just like a thousand tiny cuts. It was like, um, and it's like, okay, well, I'm just going to try to be the best, you know, whatever I am that I can be. And it's like, oh, oh, by the way, yeah, you know how you re-enlisted to get these orders to come do this job that you thought was going to be really good? Um, sorry, we're ha- going to have to cancel these orders and we're sending you somewhere else. Um, sorry about that. Like, you know, just needs of the Navy. Uh, and it's like this just over and over and over and over. And it's like, okay, well, if I feel like I can't get ahead, I can't, I don't enjoy the work. I can't. Like, I can't find anything about this to, like, cling to that I enjoy. It's like, it's just, it's like, just like, it's like buds. It's like a kick in the nuts over and over and over and over. Why would I keep doing this if the payoff isn't worth it? 
Um, right. So I think I think and I and I looked up I've like I've looked up on it, like a lot of the guys that I went to buds with. Very, very, very few of them um, make it like I think I was one of the few that I knew that reenlisted. And for me, it was mostly because I was put in a very, very unusual situation where I kind of had no choice. Like mm. they had my balls in such a vice, like I kind of had to reenlist. But a lot of the other guys who like I kind of kept tabs on, like looking up their records and stuff, like they got out after two years or three years or whatever. Hmm. Um, almost none of them reenlisted. Uh, I, I I think that they create so much like disenfranchisement and bitterness with the way that they use those washout out those washouts as like just just puzzle pieces that they carve down to fit wherever they want them to go. Sure. Um, sure. I think it's mostly either neutral or net negative. But but bureaucracies don't bureaucracies don't look at the big picture like that. Bureaucracy is about like how can we fill these spots now? Like that's all that all that matters is like this quarter. Like you don't right. ever think about the long term implications of things in a bureaucracy because it's all about like okay what can I put on my eval? Like what can I put on my performance review? Because someone else is going to take over this job in like two years. So like I don't care about any of the long term implications of what I do. I want right. to get promoted now, right? And like there is no accountability. For there won't be any accountability for the decisions that I make now because I'll be doing a different job in two years. Um, hmm. That's kind of how the military works. Like from, from at a high level is like, it's kind of like I had, uh, it's like a game of hop, like shitty hot potato. Like I had it, you got it, here you go. And it's like, wow, this is super fucked up. This other guy and the other guy was just doing like, he got handed the same thing you did. Like it was like, I had it, you got it, here you go. It was like, wow, this is a mess. Like this is completely fucked up. Like right. everything that we're doing here is wrong. Well, I I can try to fix this, but it's going to be literally impossible. So I'm just going to keep this status quo going. And that's that's how every, like everything in the military from the top all the way to the bottom. It uh, It's a top-down rot that mm -hmm. starts like, you know, the fact that we have bureaucrats running this country who who literally get paid, you know, better than the average American, like much better than the average American to do nothing to, to, to take advantage of the American people and waste American tax dollars and mm. broker your backdoor deals with foreign diplomats and, and extort and manipulate people like politicians aren't the generally successful people. Like they're the types of people who are good at raising money are good at um, saying what people want to hear. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and these are the ones like that are making the rules you know, from the, from the top and, and all of that, like trick that rot just trickles down throughout the department of defense. And, and it's, it's very, um, disgusting and, and it's very hard to make positive change. It's, it's very much like, uh, the one rotten apple spoils the bunch and like, yeah, here comes this nice, fresh, clean apple. And he's jumping into the barrel thinking I'm going to make a difference. And within a year, he's already rotting like the rest that that's, that's really what it like, what it becomes. And, and it's so hard. Like, it's almost like showing up with a good attitude. Um, like people almost resent it because mm -hmm. like they're everyone in general, like the morale is so low. Uh, everyone is so miserable, so overworked, so undertrained, so underprepared, so underequipped. Um, that it's like, what is wrong with that guy? Like, why did he show up with a good attitude? Like, don't worry, he'll see. Like, give him a couple weeks. Like, this will we'll break him. Like, we'll we'll beat him down. Like, misery loves company, and and that's by and large kind of my experience, like across the board. And the only place that I was able to have kind of like an impact on the culture was in like really small commands, like where there where there were like it was really intimate, like where 
you know, it was really only you were working with like 20 or 30 people. And like, you could really kind of get to know everyone and like really build trust. And like, you were mostly isolated from like the larger political politics of, of like big Navy. Those are the only places where like you could really go in and like make a difference in terms of like the culture and the attitudes and the morale by like, just, just kind of being a light, you know, and like, just kind of like leading the way and showing people like, no, we, we can do this right. Like, and we can do this right. And and we can like all work together and like share the burden. Uh, it's, it's very much not like that, like anywhere outside of like those little small communities where you have good leadership and you can actually make a difference by like, uh, building interpersonal relationships. It's, it's impossible at the larger commands. Uh, it, it's absolutely, it's absolutely horrible. How bad, the, how bad the morale is like, man, the last ship that I was, was on, like the going joke was just like suicide. Like everyone joked about killing themselves constantly, constantly. Mm, right. Um, and, and it would be funny if it wasn't for the fact that like more people died from suicide than COVID you know, sure. in, in a single quarter, more people died from suicide in the Navy, either in the Navy or in the DOD in Q2 of 2021 than died from COVID during the entire time COVID was the number one problem the Navy was focused on. Right. So it's like, oh, a lot of okay. People, yeah. A lot of people in the military kill themselves. Um, it's really high in the Navy, especially because the Navy's quality of life has just been getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And what used to be like a, like a, um, like a really cool culture that was like steeped in history and tradition has just been gutted and like given this corporate husk um, mm, that's sure. just totally lifeless and and disgusting and um, leaves people with really nothing other than just like meaningless tradition and and uh, and yeah sorry I I I, I know I'm rambling a lot I'm not giving you a lot of room <laughs> to get in here sorry I'll, I'll no, no, for that's... a sec. That's fine. Uh, the, um, I wonder if part of it you were talking about how, how bad the morale is. I wonder if part of it is because in the Navy, um, you're if you're on a ship, you're you're on the ship. There's no no outside contact. Oh, really. Whereas, oh yeah, in no, Army, absolutely. In the Army, you, you might be on a base or something, but there's a strong chance you've got family if you have a family that they're mm-hmm. able to be up there or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even just being able to like Skype your wife or your girlfriend, um, those are like, sure, like the, you know, on a ship you can you can get put at River City and not talk to the outside world for like months at a time, right? Like you you can pull into ports and be told that you're not allowed to leave the pier. Like you can like it's, right. it's literally like being on a floating prison, and and it's 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 just like it it just beats you down. Like it hmm. it's. Because it used to be like, it used to be like a lot more fun, right? It was like, it was like, it was more so it was kind of like, yeah, this is shitty, but like, we're all in this together. And like, we have a good time when we do it. But like, the culture has changed so much. um, Because it's like, it's such a top down organization. And like, uh, Hmm. the moral fabric like of America and its leaders has, has rotted so much like in the last 50 years that it's it's not, it's not like the parts that you used to be able to like kind of grin and bear. Cause like, we're all in this together and like, we could just embrace the suck that that's just like all gone. Like there is no more fun to be had. Like it's, hmm. it's, it's all business all the time. And if you joke about this, we're going to have to write you up because that's inappropriate. So it's like, 
and and a big part of it like from my just from my experience is just like the fact that it's a co-ed environment like in a lot of the a lot of the co-ed environments like mm. the ships that have mm-hmm. men and women um they're a lot like more politically correct a lot more straight laced like there's not an like you can't you can't joke about things because someone might get offended or sure um, and like you know that's a whole can of worms um or or there's like lots of extra rules because um people keep having getting caught having sex in the fan room or whatever right. so like now right. now we have to stand all these extra watches like to make sure people aren't having sex in the fan room and it's like maybe we shouldn't be putting a bunch of men and women on a ship and sending them out at sea for nine months at a time uh sure. and, and assuming yeah, yeah. that that isn't going to happen because it's literally insane and we're like problems like in the submarine community where like we, there were literal the navy is literally breaking up prostitution rings within these ships like on aircraft carriers and in submarines and stuff, they're literally like having to break apart prostitution rings within the command. Wow. Because like, what do you like? It's like, what do you expect? Like you're, you're sending, sure. yeah, you're sending 900 people to sea for, for nine months, 12 months, 18 months. In some cases, like I I've seen ships like go out for nine months, go out for 11 months, come back for a month and then go right back out for like another eight, right? Eight, another nine. It's like, you can't isolate people like that and expect them like, I'm not right. justifying it. Like, sure, sure. But it's tons of adultery, like tons of like, but it's just, it's normal human behavior. Mm-hmm. Like, so, you know, what, how do you, what's the solution? I don't know. Maybe don't send women out on the same ships as men. Like maybe that's just insane. Like I, you know, regard, like regardless of what you think about equality, like it's, it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't make for like a conducive environment. Like, hmm. It, it creates all this extra pressure and stress and all these extra rules. And it's like, and to what end, like to what gain for it, for, for, for the sake of equality, like it, it, it didn't make any sense. Like it, it totally destroyed um, the, the cultural fabric in a lot of ways that, that were really, really, really damaging. Like all because the Navy wants to pretend like there's no sexual tension between men and women. Like that's how they want it. Like they want to look at it. Is that like, well, as long right. as we're all adults, it's not a problem. I was like, okay, well, that's just not how the real world works. That's not how human hormones work. Uh, well, and also to that, I've heard people say, and may, maybe you'll you you will disagree with this, but I've heard people say that um, you leave the military at the mental age that you joined it. And to the to the extent that that's true, um, you're it's almost kind of like it is still high school when you have a bunch of guys and girls together in the same in the same uh, boat. Do you, do you disagree with that? It's, it's, I think specifically it's intended to apply to like a, a one contract person as opposed to a a uh, career military person. Um, I mean, so like by and large, I tend to I tend to always think like people are are byproducts of like of their own efforts, right? I mean, like mm. because I don't think that like I certainly don't think that was true for me, like. And, and maybe I'm just the exception to the rule, but like I, mm-hmm. I experienced a, a probably like a, a fire hose worth of interpersonal or uh, per, intrapersonal growth, like during during the time that I was in the military. But oh, okay. it was more so because of like my own efforts. Right. It was like because um, of like I volunteered to like go dry this really hard training program that I washed out of. I made the decision to like not be a loser about it and kind of like pick myself up by the bootstraps uh, and get over, get over the failure. I made the decision. Oh, well, I've got all this free time where like I'm literally doing nothing and I have nothing else to do and I'm stuck on this base. I'm going to start learning things that like I didn't know before. I'm going to start reading books. I'm going to start 
studying this topic. I'm going to learn more about this. Um, I, th I think it, you know, I, I don't, so I don't like to generalize. Like, I don't like to say, hmm. I don't like to make blanket statements like that because I think everybody's different. Um, okay. And so, but it, it's, it's certainly possible. Like certainly like the average person in the military, I would say probably, yeah, they, that, that probably is true that they, that they leave at the mental age that they joined. Because there's yeah. not a lot of, there's not a lot of like, like no, none of that intrapersonal growth is like baked in like it used to be. It's very much like, did you check the box? Good. Did you check this box? Good. Did you check? It's a lot of just like checking boxes. Whereas like it used to be, um, the Navy has made like a lot of really big problem, like mistakes in terms of like how it mentors junior sailors and trains junior sailors. Whereas like it used to be, like ESWAS is a great example. That's like the warfare device that you can get proving that you're um, an enlisted surface warfare specialist. And that used mm. to be optional. So it used to be like a thing that you would do if you really wanted to like work hard and set yourself apart from your peers. Mm -hmm. You would be like, all right, I'm going to go work really hard for the next year and a half and get my enlisted surface warfare specialist pin. Uh, and then, and then like, you'll like earn the respect of your peers and they'll, they'll finally be like, wow, like you, you good for you. You really worked hard for that. Right. Well, the Navy decided to make it mandatory for everybody because, well, we want better sailors and, and good sailors have their ESWAS. So, um, we're going to just make everybody have to get their ESWAS. And instead of bringing the quality of all sailors up, what that did mm. was bring the quality of the ESWAS program down. Right. Because right. it's like that. No child, right. So it's yes. like the no child left behind thing. So now it's like instead of spending six hours, instead of spending 60 hours in the engine room learning, you know, every single valve and every single tank and every single bulkhead and like whatever, every single piece of equipment and how it all works and fits together. Uh, you just need to make sure that you bring the, um, the, the division officer in charge of engineering, uh, a 24 K or 24 pack of monster uh, and, and maybe some beef jerky and a, and a sleeve of dip. And he'll make sure that all those uh, ESWAS markings on your page get signed off. And trust me, you'll pass your board uh, hmm. as long as you do that. Like, and, and that's how like, there's like this weird prison culture on the ships. Whereas like, that's kind of how everything gets done is like, sure. okay, you want this new part from supply to fix this, uh, equipment that you have that's broken that the commanding officer is mad you haven't fixed yet well uh we can get you that part but you know what are you going to do for me it's like okay well it, it it's it's that's not how an organization like that is supposed to work like it's not supposed to have prison culture where like every right. time you want a thing done it's like well what's in it for me like what are you going to do for me it's like no this is your job like your job is to train me on these topics or like provide me with this equipment or or whatever um but it's very much not like that because it's like well, I, you know, no one's going to fire me. I'm not going to get in trouble. Um, so why, why should I help you? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, um, send a note in the chat and the, the listener can guess at what it says. Um, one, one thing you mentioned about, uh, humor, um, you can't joke or whatever. Humor is a great way to relieve stress. And the fact that you have to be all concerned about your, the, the implications of your joke or whatever, um, just adds to the stress instead of having an opportunity to relieve it. You know, while it's true that, you know, humor can be used in, in negative ways. Um, 
but it's not um, to have that added stress just makes it even worse. You know, when you're like, oh, I can't tell that joke. Yeah. You know, or I can't, um, you know, that kind of makes it a little more difficult. Yeah. It, and where that wasn't an issue for us at all was in the, um, like, in the, like, when I was on a forward deployed 30 man gunship, like, that was not mm-hmm. a problem because it was all male. You know, we, we worked our butts off. Like, that was one of the hardest. Mm working environments I've ever been in just cause it, you know, you, you're, you're held to the same standard as like a destroyer in terms of all of the programs that you have to run and maintain, but you have 30 people. Um, so what would so that, was, what would that be a gunship? Is that like a, um, a patrol like a coastal craft? Gun? Oh, okay. Okay. Um, all right. Do you have like a, like a three inch gun and maybe some 30 millimeters? Or uh, 25 two twenty five millimeter. Oh, all right, well. Guns. So actually, so pound for pound. I don't know my numbers. The PCs are the most heavily armed ships in the Navy. They have two 25 millimeter okay. guns on fore and aft. They have a, a four, or so on, and then on the bridge wings, they have two 50 cal mounts, two 240 mounts. On the aft gun deck, they have a Griffin missile system. Uh, and then on the aft starboard side, there was another mount for either an additional 50 cal or a belt fed grenade launcher. Mm, so ton okay. for ton, those are the most heavily armed ships in the Navy. Huh? Okay. So kind of, yeah, kind of like, uh, like the PT boat of its. Of yeah. Today yeah. Yeah. They're just they're like, like a real fast lean and mean. Yeah. They were originally built for the SEAL community, and then the SEALs decided that they were like a bit too slow and a bit too big for what they wanted. So the Navy kind of took them over and sure. operated them as blue water ships. But they were originally designed to be like brown water ships because they're flat bottomed. Right. Uh, but they they kind of do like they're kind of like the Coast Guard cutters, but mm-hmm. a little bit bigger and like more heavily armed. So so then you got to take them out in the blue water and just get your yeah, brains beat they're, out. And they're flat bottom boats, so they are rough on the open water. Um, right. And and they're old, like they're all, they were all commissioned in like the 90s. So like they're, well, like most ships in the Navy, they're just like beat to hell. And um, so everybody gets seasick, you know, in a sea state greater than one. And uh, it's just like constant work all the time. Like you're you're in three section duty, like even when you're in port um in a good on a good day uh like at sea you know best case scenario you're in like three or four section duty you know because you just don't have that many people um most of the time like you're port and starboard because that's just like how your life has to be uh that means like like either 12 hours on 12 hours off or six hours on six hours off right and like on your duty days you're standing double watches like it's it's just that's just it's just it's it's a very like high speed like lots of stress and you're forward deployed. So like, you're always dealing with like, you know, is Iran going to shoot at us today or like whatever. Um, right. Or if like someone fires a missile at the ship, there's literally nothing we can do because we have no missile countermeasures like that type of stuff. Um, huh. So that was, and that was an all male ship, but like, you know, we, we, we joked like constantly just because we were under so much stress, like all the time we're just always being silly, like just mm-hmm. ridiculous, just ridiculous, like things that wouldn't be funny. were just hilarious to us. Right. Like we're sleep deprived. We're just silly. We're stupid. Never had to worry about like offending anybody or anything like that. Total. That is a, such a totally different environment than um, any ships that like are, are co-ed that yeah. it's, it's, 
it's it's like being in like a corporate boardroom it's like it's like very (laughs) sterile and everybody is very professional all the time and it's just like weird and awkward and exhausting yeah oh i think i lost you oh am i there what were you talking about um i was talking about like just the stresses of like the politics and and how everything it feels like you're the navy very much feels like a corporate environment Um, right it's very sterilized like any of the culture that mattered got taken away and like you're left with like these weird remnants of culture that like everybody still kind of adheres to that make no sense that have no context and just and are just annoying like Mm. like oh um, you're not allowed to wear your cover in the Mestex because um, we take our covers off in the Mestex out of respect for the dead because in a mass casualty situation, um, like, you know, this is where the doc comes in and does um, takes care of casualties. And it's right. like, OK, like that makes sense. And it's like th- so the Navy has a ton of tradition like that, that. Right. If you show up when you show up on the ship and you're new, you're constantly getting harassed about because you don't know yet. Right. So it's kind of like a hazing process of like, wow, you're not doing this thing. You're an idiot. Like fix yourself. Um, But like because all of like the the actual like meat of the culture just got so eviscerated, those things kind of just become more so just like annoyances Um, because like they're they're almost meaningless now because the Navy hasn't been a war fighting organization since like World War Two. It's just like a sanitized like corporate organization like managed by the department of defense like it's it's very much not like like sailors are are generally like very out of shape and very fat and like not held to high standards in any way shape or form uh like the navy doesn't kick people out for getting too fat anymore like it's it's very much um like a a technical job like very Mm. very few people are like physically fit um and that's just like all a part of like kind of the standards that people are held to, right? Like that uh-huh. the the Navy goes the opposite uh, the opposite of the way of the Marine Corps, whereas like the older you get, the lower the physical fitness standards get. So there's no like sense of leadership in terms of like standards that you're held to because the longer somebody's been in, the lower standard they're held to, like in right. terms of like physical fitness. Right. So, so it's like they're, they're in not the Marine Corps to hold you to a high level. Right. So like in the Marine Corps yeah. Yeah, you're, you're part of like what it requires to advance in pay grade is to be like really strong and fast, like because you're held to a high standard. So the better you score on your physical fitness test, like that helps you advance. Uh, in the Navy, it's more so like, did you pass? Good. Like that. That's all that really matters. So the standards are just like constantly brought lower and lower and lower and lower. Um, sure. Uh, so you wanted to talk about the. Oh, one more thing I'll say on the culture thing is that like, it's well, so for well, actually a couple of things. So it's very much weird. Um, There it's like the Navy, it it pretends to be apolitical, but it's not, uh, which is weird. So it's like, you're not allowed to have a political opinion. Uh, you're not allowed to express a political opinion. Sure. You're supposed to be apolitical. However, that hasn't stopped politics from seeping into the Navy's culture. So 
mm. you're not allowed to have a political opinion, but this is what you're supposed to believe kind of attitude. Whereas like, and it's, and it's so bad that like middle management in the military. So like non-commissioned officers, like the chiefs and stuff like that, they will actually like monitor people's Facebooks, like private personal Facebooks or like oh, Twitter really? accounts or whatever. And like, make sure that the, that the, that they're not saying anything they're not supposed to say. Like you're not allowed to talk about politics, like on your own personal Facebook. Sure. Because that's not in standing with the order and discipline of the United States Navy or whatever. But that yeah. that like that doesn't stop aspects of politics from like leaking their way into Navy instructions and Navy culture. You know what I mean? Um because huh. or like Navy policy. Um so it's like you're kind of like in the situation where your hands are tied you're not allowed to have a political opinion or express a political opinion, but you're still having um, policies of a political flavor shoved down your throat, right? And a good sure. example of yep. this is when I was in uh, during the Obama era, uh, they were changing all the regulations so that all ships had to make accommodations for transgender sailors. This meant that on any crew, uh, there had to be transgender birthings, transgender restrooms um and that the only thing that mattered was that a person had to go to medical tell medical that they identify what gender they identify is that gender would get marked down in their medical record and then from that point on they would be identified by that gender no questions asked and all accommodations mm. would be made for them um which has a ton of implications in the Navy because men and women are held to different grooming standards they have different uniform standards they have different physical fitness standards um there's just like lots of implications across the board. So, well, and, and then also it gives an E3 or an E4 the opportunity to um, have ha to be able to instruct an O5 in how they need to be treated. Right. Does that make right. sense? So it, yes. really, it can upset the the uh, whole situation there. Correct. And and women regularly get pregnant to avoid extended time at sea duty. Uh, because oh, when you're, sure. once you get pregnant, you get rotated to shore duty. So like a, a, a very common game for women in the Navy is to go to sea duty, spend about six months of sea duty, realize it sucks, get knocked up on purpose and then get rotated back to shore duty. And right. now that billet sits empty for 12 to 18 months until big Navy gets a chance to fill it. So, and everybody has to pick up the slack in the meantime. Yeah. So yeah. And, and that's a very, very common thing. And it's like, you know, I am the last person in the world that's going to sit here and say like, oh, I don't think women in the military should be allowed to get pregnant. Like, that's not the solution. <laughs> it's like if they want to have kids, let them have kids. How about don't send them to these um, extremely important, like high stress sea billets in the first mm. place. Right. With, with when knowing that this can happen like that. So anyway. Mm. Um, and like well, another part of it is that like like the Navy's creed, for example, uh to defend freedom and democracy around the world. Well, it's like, it's just weird because the United States isn't even a democracy. So why is the Navy's creed to that, sure. that I will defend freedom and democracy around the world? Cause like that in and of itself is a political statement, right? The United States is a constitutional Republic. It's oh, not sure. a democracy. I see what right? you're saying. But, but the Navy has like a culture that's really big on defending democracy all around the world. Um, where did that come from? Right. So that was planted by somebody who had a political motive to seed the importance of democracy into the heads of the people in the United States Navy it is like, you know, without getting into a really in-depth 
conversational political theory. Like I, I shouldn't have to, um, a lot of people, like a lot of people, I don't know what your audience is like, but like people listening to this might think, oh, democracy is a good thing. Like it's always a positive. Mm-hmm. Well, I actually sure. disagree. Like I think it's a very much a net, like a negative in society. And I, I think we should be moving away from democracy, not trying to move towards it and not trying to defend it. I think that democracy is mob rule. Uh, but I'm not allowed to have that opinion, mm, even though sure. the United States is not a is not a democracy; it's a constitutional republic. So there's a lot of um, weirdly seeded political bias and political agenda within the Navy's culture that you're not allowed to have an opinion on, and that's really uncomfortable. Uh, mm. It's really uncomfortable to not feel like you have, you know, your first your your constitutional right of freedom of speech in the military simply because you're in the military. Cause a lot of people that join the military do it because they want to defend this ideal of freedom that they have. They're like America is the greatest country in the world. And if it wasn't for our military, we wouldn't have our freedom. So I'm going to join the military and I'm going to defend freedom and democracy. And right. by doing so, they're actually depriving themselves of a lot of their constitutional rights. Um, that's quite insane. It's quite profound. Mm. So yeah, you, you had mentioned you kind of wanted to like touch on the vaccine thing because I mean I guess that's kind of like uh, adjacent to this topic in a lot of ways. Yeah, because a lot of what you're saying really apply. Uh, it's it's a reflection of the bureaucracy. It, I mean, it it's probably innate in in a a military to a certain extent, but it's exacerbated by the pre- presence of the bureaucracy. Um, the the all like you're saying all the policies and um the way they've restructured the seals, kind of the whole thing is flavored by the presence of the bureaucracy. And totally, I think, yeah, the, the vac, your vaccine experience, I think is kind of the, the, the peak of the experience there. So yeah, just yeah. Maybe, maybe just the high points. I mean, you don't need well, to And like, I can thing. give, I could give endless examples of this type of thing where it was like, the, 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 you, you see the United States government like talking out of both sides of its mouth. Where it was like, mm-hmm. I can remember when I was in, when I was forward deployed in the Middle East uh, and, and doing like tons of stuff in the Arabian Gulf. Uh, I don't remember exactly the exact details. I'd have to look them up. But I think what happened was um, Qatar was like internationally sanctioned for sponsoring terrorism. And not <laughs> just that, but also. I can't remember if they were sanctioned or if they were just like called out. Like basically the rest of the world, a lot of the world, like NATO in particular was like, yeah, Qatar, you got to stop sponsoring terrorism. What the hell's up with that? Like we're going to, I can't, I think that there were sanctions, but I don't remember. Um, So that happened. And then within like a month or two, my ship got sent to Qatar on a quote unquote Liberty mission where they told us that we were going to go to Qatar and our mission was to go out on liberty and be diplomats of the United States. And I'm not even kidding. Like, this is no, the kind I, of shit that, that the higher-ups come up with it in I'm these just, organizations. You know, usually when sailors go on liberty, it's a stressful situation because of the problems that could arise with the populace. Not yeah. because of they the, get Because they like to get drunk and they like to, like, screw around <laughs> and, like... And, and places like Qatar, like, a lot of the places in the Middle East, they're mostly dry countries. And but you can find alcohol and it's at the tourist hotels. So like you just sure. go to the tourist hotels and you drink in the bars. But like these are the types of places that will like arrest you for showing too much skin. So like we're for like walking too close to the mosque or like whatever. So and the people there by and large hate Americans. 
mm-hmm. uh, in, in Qatar. Like I went to a lot of places that were really friendly, like um, Oman. From the most part, of the people I met in Oman were really friendly. Um, the Bahrainis just kind of keep their distance from the, from the U.S. people because they 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 know that the U.S. is their cash cow. Like because Bahrain is just an island. Also, sure. But like the people just like put up with the Americans because they they know the Bahraini government has zero tolerance for them fucking with the Americans because it's their ca- it's their country's cash cow. But like, you know, you go to like uh, uh, and then like the UAE, like they have tons of tourism. So like they're used to Westerners. But like you go to like Kuwait, you go to Saudi Arabia, like you're not even allowed to leave the pier in those countries because like they're, they, they hate Americans so much. Like you go to Saudi Arabia, like you are not allowed off the ship. Because they hate them. They literally hate Americans. Right. And, and it's the same thing with Qatar. And when I was in Qatar and our mission was to, quote unquote, go out on liberty, uh, Qatar is, I, I believe, the richest country per ca- uh, per capita in the world. <coughs> um, sure. There were people that were like getting jumped and beaten up in Qatar when I was there on my mission of liberty. Um, like literally like coming out of their hotels and like getting jumped by like 12 people and like beaten with pipes. Like that happened when I was out wow. on my Liberty mission in Qatar. Uh, and it was like, it's just, you, it's just, you were considering requesting combat pay. For, it's just fucking this insane. Liberty mission. Like it's fucking insane. Like you have this, this you've got like a bunch of people that you've trained yeah. to be like, you know, fighters and technicians. Like they're, they're your soldiers and sailors and your Marines and you're sending them on to be diplomats in foreign countries where the people hate them. Like it's literally, it's like, it's, it's like an idea that only an academic could come up with. Like it's, it's, it's like, it's like an idea. A bunch of people came up with in a classroom. Like it's literally ridiculous. Sure. So lots of stuff like that. And then I can remember one time we did, um, while they were sanctioned, this is, this was an actual detail, like mission briefing detail that I was given. Mm -hmm. We were told that because of the sanctions, the country of Qatar had run out of ice. Ice. And they, they ran out of ice because of sanctions. And our job was to escort a barge that was delivering ice to the country of Qatar. Now, I don't know what I don't know. I don't fucking know if that was actually what we were doing. Sure. Yeah. All yeah. I know is that that's what we were told we were doing. And it was so fucking stupid. It was like the dumbest. Thing. And there was like another time I was in the Arabian Gulf. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll cut that bit out. Again, that, that kind of adds the flavor a little bit, I think, is um, kind of leaving a little bit of the mystery. And then the, the listeners like, well, what about that? And it's like, well, maybe they just couldn't talk about it <laughs> or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and then yeah, it yeah. covers for my in, inadequacies when they're like, why didn't you ask this question? I'm like. Hmm, I should have. That would have been an obvious question. Yeah. He he had to cut out a part just because I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about it or not. So it's it's for the best. Um, yeah. It was a great story, though. You would have loved it. Um, did I? Uh, oh, I, I did. Uh, I actually remembered to make notes for my questions, and I, I uh, already asked well, you, that one. You wanted to touch about the vaccine thing. Um, yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, I also don't know where my listeners are coming from, but I think um, the, the, this is why, this is honestly the type of stories you're telling and the experiences you had. This is why I started the show for the listener is because this is a, these are type of stories you're not going to hear anywhere. You're not going to hear about um, 
a liberty mission to to a a, a country where the, the at least the people are the the man on the street is hostile to you if not necessarily the government that's not going to be like on the news or anything right so yeah like that's that's totally and then your your story is also something that is definitely not going to be in the news you know you're not going to hear that viewpoint especially as as uh as directly and personally as you have it experienced it so right so yeah so uh yeah just touch on it real quick but what was kind of your experience because you just recently got out and um yeah it was related to the vaccine just recently uh got out um yeah i mean to make a long story short um the navy was coercing people to get the vaccine as early as late 2020 uh and it was one of those things where it was like they were constantly harping on the fact that it's totally optional right totally mm-hmm. optional because at the time it hadn't been mandated totally optional however uh if you don't get it you're subject to all of these extra restrictions so so from the time covid started um what happened to a lot of people was that a lot of people were sent to ships and quarantined on ships I knew people who went into work on like a Tuesday on their ship and mm-hmm. didn't get to go home for six months, like tethered to the pier. Like, Oh, wow. Just literally went into work on a random day. The captain came over the intercom, said, hey, by the way, you guys aren't going home today. Call your families, let them know. I'll update you when I know more. And like they were there for like six months, quote, quote unquote, quarantining. Um Literally ridiculous, like literally ridiculous, like completely batshit fucking insane, like to take a, a, a population of some of the most healthy people. Mm. I was like, you know, I, I know earlier I was kind of harping on like how a lot of people in the Navy are fat or whatever, but like they're still military age population, right? They're still fit enough to right. be in the military. Like they're right. generally a healthy population to isolate them from their families for six months over a flu virus is literally fucking stupid. Like literally fucking insane, literally ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And so this one, and I fortunately wasn't on a ship when, when that like first kicked off and they were like quarantining people on board for like really long periods of time. Um, and I, got, I did get sent to a ship at one point shortly after, like they were starting to consider mandating it. Um, no, it was shortly before they were starting to consider mandating. And when I got there, it was like very coercive. It was kind of like, mm. okay, you don't have to get it. Uh, totally safe, 100% effective, 100% effective, totally safe. Uh, you can talk. Uh, why don't you want to get it, by the way? Because it's totally safe and effective. I don't remember if we told you that. It was like, okay, well, um, all right, you don't have to get it. Don't worry. Like, you don't have to get it. It's like totally optional. But we strongly recommend it because it's like totally safe, totally effective. By the way, if you don't get it, you're not going to be allowed to, um, you know, do X, Y, and Z. Uh, you know, like, because we were under restrictions like pretty much from the beginning of COVID that like we couldn't go anywhere other than grocery stores and work. It's mm. like can't go to church, can't sure. go to the movie theater, can't go to the bar, can't go play mini golf, can't like whatever it is. Like, you're not allowed to do anything other than go to work go home and go to the grocery store. Uh, and if you can help it, order your groceries, order, order your groceries to your house. Like we, we frown upon you actually going in the physical store and you mm-hmm. always have to wear a mask, like no matter where you are, like that was like DOD guidance. I had to like sign an acknowledgement that I'd be prosecuted under the UCMJ if I didn't wear a mask, like literally at all times, anytime I wasn't at least six feet away from another human being, I was supposed to be wearing a mask. Sure. Um, 
So it was like, okay, well, you don't want to get the vaccine. Um, well, you're going to be subject to like extra scrutiny or like extra restrictions, or like maybe we're going to be lifting some of the restrictions for everybody else who chose to get the vaccine, but you're not going to have any of them lifted yet. Um, totally optional again, totally safe, totally effective. Uh, by the way, you said you don't want to get it. Um, you're going to have to go to a mandatory briefing with a doctor tomorrow at 11. And after that, you're gonna have to meet with the master chief. Uh, and you're going to have to explain to them why you don't want to get it. By the way, totally optional, totally safe, totally effective. And it was like this, just like over and over, yeah, just like beating yeah. on the head. Like, so why don't you want to get it? Like, what's wrong with you? Like, why are you being selfish? Like, you're going to be hurting your shipmates. Like, and it's just like over and over and over. And like, I had a lot of really, va I had a lot of valid medical concerns why I didn't want to get it because I had seen like almost a me. First of all, it was like totally untested. It was authorized under emergency use. Sure. Um, and I had already, like early on, like been noticing huge spikes in the VARES reports, vaccine uh, adverse event reaction system. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Ad ad adverse event reporting system is what it's yes. called. Yep. Huge spikes in VARES, right? Um, tons of people like having heart problems, people literally like having strokes, like all kinds of crazy shit happening from this vaccine. I'm like, okay, well, I'm good. I don't plan to get that because I don't want to die. And when I was in Buds, I had gotten swimming-induced pulmonary edema uh, that had caused me to be rolled back out of my first class, which I was literally like coughing up blood um, from hmm. swimming in cold water. It's it's like a really rare medical condition that you that they only see in like people at Buds and like Olympic-level triathletes that swim in cold water. So sure. like uh, – I, I had like a history of, and and I have like tons of heart disease in my family. So I was like, you know, I'm good. I'm not getting this. Um, and they were like, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? You don't want to get this. Like, it's a really big deal. Like you need to get this. You're basically killing yourself and everybody you love. If you don't get it, it was like tons, right. tons of coercion. And then we had a deployment coming up and the story was, well, if you don't get this, um, like you're not going to be allowed to leave the ship during the entire deployment. So it'll be like nine months. You won't be allowed to leave the ship. You're going to have to come onto the ship two weeks early and you're going to have to stay on the ship two weeks late after we get back um, so that right. you're going to be like holding down all the watches while everyone else quote unquote quarantines. Um, so, so I got myself off of the ship um, and not too long after that, they made it mandatory. I could kind of see the writing on the wall. I knew where this was mm -hmm. going. Sure. So I got myself off of the ship um, and they made it mandatory shortly after. Uh, and I was like, no, I think I'm good. Uh, like, I don't think I won't. Cause I get, they had had me away from my family again at this point. And I was kind of like, you know what? Honestly, like if you guys kicked me out, I wouldn't be so bad. Like, cause I'd get to go home like six, seven, eight months early. Right. I want to go home. I want to see my kids. I want to see my wife. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of this shit. I'm tired of getting treated like garbage. I don't want to get this vaccine. Like, I'm not going to get this vaccine. So if you guys are going to kick me out, like, that actually be a pretty good deal. Like, I'll take that. Because they they had, and they had originally said that, like, everybody that refused it was going to get uh, dishonorable discharge, which is a big deal. That's oh, like, yeah. that's like a felony. It's like yeah. having a felony on your record. You can't vote. You can't own a gun. Like, it's like a permanent black mark on your record. Um, hmm. But I was like, no, like, I don't really care. I basically just, like, called their bluff all the way to the end. And it was... 
like just months and months and months of like coercion, like leading, bringing me into like offices of higher ups who were just like grill me, like wanting to know all my reasoning and like all my medical history and like prying into like my ways of thinking and like, just like, well, why don't you want to, like, you're really causing a lot of problems for us. Like, why don't you, you know, you're going to get in a lot of trouble. It's like, no, I, I don't want to get it. It's, I don't believe that it's safe. Like I have no reason to believe that it's safe. It hasn't been adequately reviewed or tested. Like it, it's, it, uh, first of all, millions of red flags. Cause you're trying to force me to get it right now. And I don't even know that I, I don't even know that I need it. Cause I'm not even at risk from COVID. And, and it doesn't right. seem to be stopping like people from spreading it or people from getting it. So it was like, and I'm not at risk from dying from COVID. So like, what's, what are we doing here? Like, what? Right. And, and I was one of the very few people that was like kind of fighting back on this a little bit, like not just saying, okay, fine. Like I'll do whatever you say, uncle Sam. Um, and I told this story on Rollo and Slappy's show, but like I had a, I had a, they were basically like make it impossible for me to take Liberty. Um, take leave. Hmm. I mean, um, right. even though like, so in the military, you have like what's called a travel radius. And normally you have to ask for extra permission to travel outside of your travel radius. Right. And the way it works is like I could have gone home on the weekend at any point in time, like without asking for permission. But if I wanted to take leave, I had to like put in a leave request. And they were treating me as if I was traveling outside of the bubble, which I could have done like on any given weekend. But they wanted to treat it like it was like an extra risky scenario sure. just because I wasn't vaccinated, even though I could have every single weekend been going home without their knowledge. They wanted to pretend like my leave request to go home for the birth of my son was a big deal because uh, it was like putting the Navy at extraordinary risk because I wasn't vaccinated. So wow. they, the day before I was supposed to go home for the birth of my son, they finally said I had like been waiting for like a month and a half. They finally let me go, came home. My wife and I were doing a home birth, uh, ended up having to go to the hospital just because there were some complications with the home birth. Mm -hmm. uh, on the way home from the hospital, uh, we got into a really bad car accident. My son was one day old in the car. Uh, we got into this really bad car accident and, and, Went home, my wife, we were pretty sure my wife had broken her back. She went and got an MRI and like the initial scan showed that she had a broken back. Um, like she like barely could move, could like barely feed my son. The Navy calls me and recalls me back to Florida uh, to come and sign a piece of paper that basically said, hey, you're refusing to get this vaccine. We're going to be prosecuting you under the UCMJ for a violation of a direct order. Uh, we need you to come like back to Jacksonville and sign an acknowledgement of this like as soon as possible. And I'm like, well... You know, my oh, wife wow. just got in. We just got into a car accident. I literally have a one day old son. Like my wife literally can't even lift him out of the crib. Does this have to happen now? And they're like, yeah, I know you have literally no choice. Like you have to come back like within the next 12 hours. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Fuck me. Right. Like, cause, cause my, like my crises don't matter. Clearly right. this is really important. So I go all the way back to Jacksonville while my wife is at home with a newborn child and a broken back. Sign this stupid ass piece of paper acknowledging and it wasn't even like this is what's going to happen it was like it was like a message of intent it was like an acknowledgement of the that the navy was stating that they were intending to prosecute me. right it wasn't even like hey we're prosecuting you here's what happened here's what's happening it's like hey we're thinking about probably prosecuting you because you've broken this rule um so the Navy did this and actually that brought their compliance numbers up to where they wanted it. And then after that, they basically just dropped it entirely because enough people were um, 
coerced by like these threatening these these legal threats basically because sure. i sure. i was getting ready to get a lawyer because i was like this is freaking ridiculous like you guys want to make me a felon because uh i tried to seek medical exemption and basically like the way the instructions were written they wouldn't give me a medical exemption for this vaccine because they were like the only the way the instructions were written was the only way that they could give you an exemption for a vaccine was if you got a dose of it and then had anaphylaxis and went into anaphylactic shock. And then after that, they could give you an exemption. I was like, I don't like, I was like, guys, look, like I get out of the Navy in like six months or whatever. Like, I don't want to get the shot because I think it's a risk to my health. I just want like a medical, like, I don't care what you do, like medically separate me. Like, I don't care what it is. Like admin set me, whatever. But like, it makes no sense for you to literally be giving me like the equivalent of a felony for not wanting to get this vaccine six months before I get out of the Navy. Cause I had already been planning on getting out for a long time at this point. Um, so I just called their bluff and I was getting ready to like get lawyers and all this type of stuff. And they were like, Oh yeah, no, by the way, like we're not prosecuting anybody, uh, anymore about this and you're going to get out at your normal time. They pulled me into legal one day and they were like, yeah, you're going to get out at your normal time. You're going to get out with an honorable discharge. You're going to retain all your benefits. Um, and they, cause they were talking about like kicking people out with no severance pay, right. like clawing back reenlistment bonuses, um, clawing back like training costs, like giving you dishonorable discharge. Like they were really going to screw people. And then they were just like, Oh no, that was all. We were just kidding about all that. Like none of that is actually happening. Um, it was crazy. That was a crazy few months where like, I basically like looked at the beast in the face and I was like, I, I am not afraid of you. And, and they totally caved and, and they could have just as easily not caved. Like, I, I think that they decided that they got enough compliance they got to the level of compliance that they wanted, that the PR kickback wasn't worth it them right. pursuing diminishing returns. punitive action against the remaining group of noncompliance. Um, and I just so happened to kind of like slip through the cracks on that. But like very easily, they could have ruined the rest of my life had they yeah. wanted to, M- mainly over my medical concerns. Like I felt like they weren't taking like sure. the, the, the proper considerations, like based on my medical history that I sustained during my service, right? It was like this new experimental vaccine that seems to be affecting people's hearts. Well, like I have family history of heart disease. I had had, I've had pulmonary edema. I don't want to get this stupid thing. Uh, That shouldn't make you a criminal. Right. And, and, you know, it was more than that. Like for a lot of people, they were pursuing, um, cause it was very obviously political, right? Like from the very beginning, by the way, like, by the, like, by the way, you know, I'm not a Republican. Like, I'm not a big Trump fan either. Like, I'm very right. much more so like, right? because Trump was like all about the vaccine. He was like, oh, the vaccine is great. Everybody should get the vaccine. We have the best vaccines, don't we, folks? It was like, the people that want to label anybody that was vaccine hesitant as a Republican or like as a Trump fan, that hasn't made any sense to me. Because I did run into a little bit of that too. Is like, oh, well, are you one of those like January Sixers? I'm like, no, no. <laughs> right. Like, I... Yeah, clearly some weird shit happened with the. I saw the. I saw that little spike in the votes that Biden got. That was a little fishy, but like I wasn't uh, rah rahing Trump. That's for sure. Like I, I think they're both re- retarded. Right. Um, but you know, like by and large, lots of fishy behavior going on. Lots of really weird coercion going on with the vaccine that I had been privy to for months and months and months on end. And it was like, okay, at this point. Um, they had basically radicalized me where I was like, okay, well, I am not getting this thing and I don't care what you guys do to me. Um, 
and actually, if you kick me out and send me home, you're doing me a favor because I really miss my little girl. Uh, so like that was, uh, that was quite yeah. an interesting time period. Um, yeah, yeah, it's for sure. Like I became, I became like a anar- anarcho-capitalist libertarian during my time in the Navy and, and towards the end, they radicalized me into someone that literally hates the United States government, the department of defense and everything that that organization represents and does. Like I, I, hmm. I hate what they do to people. I hate the way that they use and manipulate human beings and, and turn them into numbers. And, and it's, yeah. it's literally disgusting to me. Um, cause, cause, cause what is all of this for? Like using and abusing people and burning them, like burning their candle at both ends until you've literally exhausted their spirit, like ground them into dust and like turn them into shells of their former selves for what, for what, like for Hmm. nothing, like for nothing to, to what end, to what gain to nothing other than the ends and the gains of the bureaucrats. And like, it's absolutely disgusting, man. And I don't like, I made a lot of mistakes in my life. Like I think joining the Navy, you know, I, I do believe everything happens for a reason. And, and I don't think even if I had a time machine, I don't think I'd be able to go back in time and convince my, my past self not to do what I did. Sure. Yeah. You're um, so committed. Yeah. And, and I, I, you know, I don't know. There probably aren't too many like young kids that are aspiring to join the military that listen to podcasts like this or like any of the right. podcasts that I do, you know, it's right. mostly like right. preaching the choir type stuff. But man, if I could convince even one person, like don't join the military, do not sign your life away to this cold, bu- like unfeeling bureaucratic machine that does not give a fuck about you. Hmm. Do not sign your life away to these politicians. They do not fucking care about you. Joe Biden doesn't care about you. Like, Congress doesn't care about you. The senators don't care about you. Like these people do not fucking care about you. Like they, they want to use you for their own ends. They hmm. do not give a shit about you. You are tax cattle to the United States government. And if if you sign up for their military, you are a bullet sponge. Like it's literally the worst decision you could possibly make for your life. Hmm. Now, there's plenty of people out there who have joined the military and made the most of it and and had like some of the benefits of it set them up really well in life. Um, good for those people, you know, like there are people who come from nothing. They go and join the military and that allows for them to go to school or whatever and get a good job. Mm-hmm. There are better ways, man. Le- watch YouTube videos and learn how to code. Like you, you <laughs> right. don't need to, you don't need to sign your life away to go to an overpriced four year university anymore. Like the world is changing. Just, just don't sign your life away to these bureaucrats that, that in, in a lot of cases, they hate you. They literally hate you. They look down on you. They think that you're, you're lower, you know, you're not, you're not even valuable human life. Every human being is a valuable human life. Like it, it, it's so disgusting to me watching what our government does to, to its populace. We, we very much need um, very radical systemic institutional change in, in the United States, we, the country needs to balkanize. It's way too big. It spends way too much money. It has way too much debt. Uh, the, the decisions mm. that a small group of lawmakers make have way too much effect on our lives. Uh, the, our federal government is way too powerful. Uh, people need to turning be turning into local 
matters. Like they need to be putting more focus on their local government. Yeah. They need to be focusing more on their families. They need to be focusing more on their local business, on their local communities, you know, on the crime in their, you know, in, on their streets, um, on how they raise their children. Right. Like we have a country full of people that work full-time jobs to be able to afford to send their kids to childcare. It's literally fucking insane. Like wake up people like wake up like your your country is literally like the moral fabric of your country is literally rotting away uh, mm-hmm. because you're allowing it to happen and and everyone wants to look to the federal government for solutions and i'm here to tell you that the federal government's going to offer you nothing but more problems what, what's the saying uh or the the joke uh you've you've seen the problems we pre- you think the problems we've created are bad just wait till you see our solutions <laughs> yeah yeah that sounds like uh Something out of the FDR administration, yeah. Woodrow Wilson administration. I don't know. Yeah. Huh. Um. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. You're probably probably running tight on time. What? Um. No, I got plenty of time, but you know, I I have talked myself silly here. <laughs> yeah. Well. Uh. Yeah. That that's totally fine with me. That's I. My primary enjoyment is just sitting in and listening. So. Uh, that's definitely what I'm getting. The what one question I had. So you got out. What was the what was your transition to civilian life like? Because I know everybody has a different experience. Um, some people it's great. Some people it's difficult. Um, maybe your mindset coming out of it probably and was helpful in that. And then also what I was noticing is like um, how a bureaucracy is um, a bureaucracy actively avoids encourages individuals to actively avoid taking responsibility. There's no, there's no encouragement in a bureaucracy to take individual responsibility. You're not motivated to, but you, like you were saying, um, you made a decision to this, you took responsibility for this action. Um, so that probably helped you. I would think as you were transitioning out to civilian life, you still had that individual responsibility mindset. So, Um, but yeah, TAPS tries really hard. TAPS is the program, uh, transition assistance program that you're required by law to go through before you get out of the deal, uh, any type of like branch of service, okay. uh, which basically is like a program designed to like, quote unquote, reintegrate you into society, like prepare you for mm-hmm. the transition. Um, a good portion of that program is designed to like brainwash you into thinking that one, the real world's really, really hard and scary and you should probably stay in the military. And two, probably your only chances Mm. of making it are to get funneled into like a federal job placement program. That's either going to like put you into like a federal contractor or like put you on like a temp agency or like get you on unemployment or like whatever. Uh, They basically like try to funnel you from the DOD into the department of labor. Uh, or, or like straight into like a federal contracting job. Um, sure. It's really, really hard to like get away from that. Um, and before I get into like what my personal experience has been like, uh, the Navy made sure to screw me really good a few more times, like right <laughs> as I was getting out. Uh, I didn't get my final chunk paycheck for the, so, w- so when you reenlist and you get a reenlistment bonus, they give you half up front and then they give you the other half in yearly installments. I oh, didn't get okay. my final yearly installment of my reenlistment bonus and I have no recourse. I don't know who to contact. I'm no longer a part of any command. I have no more liaisons. Like I don't have PSD people anymore. Sure. I, as far as I'm concerned, I'm never going to get that money. It's not worth my time to try to, ch- it's like $500. It's not worth my time to try to chase it down. Sure. It's tax free money. Cause I reenlisted in a, in a, 
um, in a, what do you call it? Like a hazardous pay zone or whatever when I was deployed in for deployed okay. in the Middle East. Mm. I'm not ever going to get that money. Like the, the DOD basically just like screwed me out of that money. Um, so and, that's and not up. to any benefit of their own. It's more. No, just, and it's just, just pure, it's you. just yeah. pure incompetence. Nothing more than pure incompetence. It wasn't malicious. I guarantee you nobody sat down and said, ha ha ha, we're really going to get this guy. It was just right. Nobody gives a shit whether or not got his last $500 reenlistment bonus. There's just no accountability. That's the real, the by and large, the biggest problem that I saw in, in the department of defense is that there is almost zero accountability for any of the things that matter. Um, and, and on that same vein, I still haven't even gotten my DD two fourteen. Oh, which seriously? Is the, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is the piece of paper. So the way it used to work is you would go to personnel on your last day, you'd hand them their, your ID They'd hand you your DD-214. And for anybody listening that doesn't know, your DD-214 is like the official piece of paper that says like, hey, this guy, he served in the military. He did serve this number of years. Here's all the shit he did. Here's all the awards he got. This is when he got out. He got out with this characterization of service. Thank you. Have a nice day. Like It's like the piece of paper that says like, yes, you're out for good. Yes, you served X number of years. Like You got an honorable discharge or whatever. Sure. Um, I still have not gotten that piece of paper and the, it used to be you handed them your ID, they handed you back your DD 214 and then you got on your merry way. It doesn't work like that anymore because of COVID totally just for lack of a better word, like, but fucked all of the administrative processes, um, to the point where they were like, oh yeah, no, we don't do it that way anymore. Uh, you, you fill it out online and then we mail it to you. Uh, I got... I, I, I still had people calling me like two days before I was supposed to get out telling me that like they didn't have all the right information and like all the stuff in my online thing wasn't correct. And I'm like, okay, well, like I literally don't know what to do. Like I, because when I, before I left, before I went on terminal, I was like hounding them every single day is like, what do you need from me? What can I do? How do I move this right. process along? And they're just like, people literally look at you like, I don't know. I'm like, okay, well, how do I like, what do you need from like, what else do I need? Who do I talk to? Like it, well, it used to work like this, but it doesn't work like that anymore. It's like, okay, how does it work now? I don't know. Okay. Um, so who do I like, who do I like? And, and then literally like, it, it's, it's just fucking insane. Like it's ridiculous that, that someone like me who I could have been an E5, I could have been an E4, I could have been an E3. I'm, I just so happen to be a, you know, a fairly well-educated E6. And I can't figure this shit out. And right. and nobody cares. Right. Nobody ca like nobody cares. And there's no accountability. Why is that not a really, really, really big deal? That I'm I still don't have my DD two fourteen. Why is that not a really, really, really big deal? Why are people not getting fired over that? Like why is nobody holding anybody accountable? Like that is a the single most important document out of mm -hmm. my entire seven years of active duty service in the United States Navy. I still don't have the document. Why? Right. right. Who do I even, and like, there's nobody for me to even go complain to about that. What do I do? Write my congressman? Right. Like, yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, it's not even luck. worth my time. Like, it's literally ridiculous. And, mm. and it's so demoralizing and I don't even care. I don't even want to deal with it. And as you, you, you kind of opened this about how I said, like, I don't intend to get any benefits is like, there's a lot of pressure put on you by like other veterans that you may know and like by the TAPS program and all that stuff to like milk 
the benefits for everything they're worth. Like try to claim as much disability as you can. You know, the only thing that I have used is the VA loan, which I used like when I was in service. Cause if you can, if you can get access to a loan with zero down payment, like that is just too hard to pass up. But yeah, uh, like I'm, I'm not interested in collecting checks like for disability problems that I have that aren't real. Like I'm not going to try to claim like allergies and sleep apnea or whatever people do to get like 70% disability for the rest of their life. I do not want to be a part of the welfare state. Like I, and, sure. and I still yeah. don't have a job. I'm still unemployed. Um, I'm, I'm fine because I've, I'm smart enough to have taken steps in years prior that I'm in a financial position that like I, I could not work for the next probably 10 years and be fine. Sure. Um, but I don't want to do that. Like I'm, I'm trying to break into like software engineering. Um, being a veteran has not helped me at all. Like it's literally helped me none. Like you would think, I think people want to lead you to believe that like all it did was set me back professionally because I'm trying to break into jobs for 20 year olds as a 30 year old. Um, because I spent sure. seven years, sure. seven and a half years fucking around with the department of defense, doing a stupid ass job that didn't translate to the mil- to the civilian world at all. I learned no employable skills whatsoever. Um, and part of that, like, you know, I was complaining about earlier was like trying to change my job in the military and like not being able to do it and, and right. totally getting screwed out of the buds pipeline. You know, if it had been up to me, I would have been writing code for the military or like, you know, being an electronics technician and like soldering circuits or, or you know, right. breaking codes, like doing something that was like a valuable skill that would have translated to the civilian world. Instead, I was like looking at radars and and plotting charts on map on um, plotting courses on charts or doing maneuvering boards or, you know, learning how to operate specialized equipment that doesn't exist outside of the military. And so now it's like, okay, I'm applying to jobs for 20 year olds, like entry level software because I'm I'm I think I'm a pretty savvy software engineer. Uh, like I've, I've worked really hard to hone that craft, but it's very, very, very hard to break into that field with no experience being 30 years old. Uh, it, mm-hmm. It's taking time. It's very demoralizing. I get it. I've gotten tons of rejection emails. I'll get there. Like I have, I'm not, I'm not too worried. Like I think I, I will, I do have some options kind of already. I'm just being a little bit picky, uh, but it's, it's hard to go from, uh, cause every year you spend in the military is a year that you spend not getting job experience. And that's really like what, um, being, so if you want to be successful in life, you need to start with a low skilled job and you need to work your way up to higher and higher skilled labor. Sure. Uh, and, sure. and the, the best paying jobs in the world are the highest skilled jobs in the world. Um, and if you want to improve your lot in life, you need to improve your skills. And that's a hard thing to do in the military because the military isolates you from the real world. Some jobs in the military are pretty good at setting you up for careers outside of the military, but you still have a lot to learn on the outside, like in terms of like how things are done outside of the military, because the military has its own procedures and orders of operations and culture and all those types of things. So even then there's like a learning curve. Even if you're like an electrician in the military, you have to figure out how to be an electrician outside of the military. Uh, And a lot Mm, of times like your best bet is to become a federal contractor and I have this dead set idea in my mind that I am not ever going to work for another government organization as long as I live, as long as I can help it. As long as I can still feed my kids and not work for a government organization, I will. Uh, I don't want to do federal contracting. I don't want to work for the state. I don't want to work for the feds. 
like I have had enough. I want to work for the private sector and create real value for people who are willing to pay for it. Uh, I'm not interested in being a part of like some government monopoly on some service. Um, Hmm. But yeah, I mean, it hasn't been an easy transition, although, you know, being able to be home and and grow a beard and kiss my wife and kids every day has been more than worth uh, whatever pain I might have to go through in the transition. Uh, the, The amount of time you know, that, that I've had the amount of birthdays and Christmases and Thanksgivings and Easter's and just regular ordinary days that I've missed out of my family's life. I will never get back. Uh, I think out of the seven years I was in the Navy, I was only with my wife, maybe two years out of those seven years. Wow. Wow. And that was really hard. That really stressed our marriage a lot. Fortunately, I married a good woman. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. That, that I was really impressed when I heard that, um, like you, you were saying earlier, um, that's uncommon to, yeah. for that to be successful like that. And yeah, most and, people get divorced. Uh, yeah, just a lot, a lot of stress is put on the marriage. And then again, like you're saying, you're just a number to the Navy. So your, your marriage is not, um, definitely not their priority, if not even their concern. They're more, they're more interested in you as a number than, than you as a father or a exactly. husband or something. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's uh appreciate it. Did you did you have anything you wanted to plug or or no? No, I don't think so. I mean, if people okay. are so inclined, they can follow me on Twitter at heavily armed C letter C I'm, I'm known as heavily armed clown. Like most of what I talk about on Twitter, I don't really talk about like military stuff. I talk about like, um, macroeconomics and, and technology and computer science and, um, a little bit of philosophy and some political science. So like, I'm not really sure. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 I have like a bit of a Twitter following, but it's mostly through Bitcoin. So like, I'm, I'm a bit of a Bitcoin. Okay. Advocate. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Okay. And then, and also, uh, what, what drew my attention to you as, as you mentioned, um, and then you also go into more detail about your whole story, um, on the Rollo and Slappy show, which is a, a podcast. So I hate to give Rollo free, free airtime, but, um, it yeah, is and they're great is. guys. I love hanging out with them. I've been on their show like f- f- three or four times. Um, okay. They're awesome. Yeah. They, if you want to learn about Bitcoin, they have a great show. If, if you're just interested in like libertarian topics, a lot of their earlier episodes are, are more libertarian focused. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So for the listener, if, uh, um, heavily Iron clown here goes a lot more into, uh, his whole, um, different aspects of his military experience than, than he did here today. So if, if you're intrigued, look, look into that. Um, so, um, yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. That was, uh, I, I always appreciate genuineness and that, uh, thank you. Yeah, man. Um, sure. actually, I, so we don't end it on like a totally bad note. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I had a lot of fun in SEAL training. Like it was one of the coolest things I have ever done. It was, it was actually amazing. Like every day I woke up and I sprung out of bed cause I was so excited. Like it, it was, it was a wild ride. Um, I did things that I never thought I'd be able to do. 
Like I could barely even swim when I joined the Navy and I went from barely even being able to swim to like swimming, you know, two nautical miles in the open ocean. Um, oh, really? Like under and a so, time limit. But you joined with the intent of a SEAL rating. Yeah. So how, yeah. how, so I, how I was basically, the curve like? Oh, dude, it was, it was horrible. It almost killed me. <laughs> like I, I, so, so, so to become a SEAL, you basically have to like enter like a draft. Um, uh-huh. It's kind of like it, like an NFL combine where like you, you take a physical fitness test and you take a psychological test and you take the ASVAB and you put together like a package and they submit your package and like they select the most competitive candidates, like on a cycle basis. Okay. And sure. I got picked up my first look. Um, cause I was pretty fast, pretty strong, really smart. And I scored almost maxed out the psychologically re- psychological resiliency test. And hmm. the way that that psychological resiliency test, so I've heard people say it's bullshit, but, I, um, they said that the score determines like what percentage, like how likely you are to become a Navy SEAL. And I scored a nine, like in the nine, 91st percentile or something oh, like that. So okay. I was 91% likely to become a Navy SEAL. So like they, they like practically auto picked me up. Right. Um, and just based on like mental, that was a really weird test. You're not supposed to talk about it, but it was the, one of the weirdest tests I've ever taken. It was like a series of unrelated statements. So it'd be mm. like multiple choice questions and it was like unrelated statements. So it was like, um, like, uh, this is just like a loose example. Cause I'm not supposed to talk about like any specifics, but it was like sure, two sure. statements and you pick the one that most a- applies to yourself. So like, uh, if I found $50 on the ground, I'd try to find the owner. That's option B option a, and then option B is like, I'm occasionally late for commitments. Oh, so you have to pick. Yeah. And like huh. two, like seemingly totally unrelated things. And you have to pick the one that most closely resembles you. Uh, and then oh. they would repeat a lot. So uh, you might see you might see option B again, 17 questions later, next to something else. Um, right. Both checking your accurate, your and, honesty. Yeah, and yeah. And I think what it was mostly checking huh, for was, I think what it was mostly checking for was honesty. Like how self-aware are you? Um, do you just give the answer that you think is the most right answer? Or are you honest with yourself? Like, what's your, um, what do you call that? Um, like, knowledge of self or oh like self-awareness or, how, or yeah or like introspective or whatever is hmm, like because because yes. if you're always giving the answer that you think is right in every single circumstance then like i think the test would pick up on that and like lower your score or whatever sure, but sure um this was like yeah because there was always almost always an option that was like oh that's clearly the right answer um but like but like if i sat there and think about it, I was like right. what, if i found 50 bucks would i really try to track down the person like probably not and have i ever like i'm usually on time like i'm very punctual but am i ever late for commitments yeah like sometimes so like that one probably applies to me more so like sure. i picked that one you know what i mean because like i was just trying to be honest and like, so, like i scored really high on that so i got like picked up like automatically um huh. uh but like yeah I, I could barely swim like so and funny enough my my mentor told me when I when I was screening, he told me that I would never get through buds because I would never make it through the runs. Um, like I wouldn't, I wasn't. He said I wasn't a good enough runner, uh, hmm. and I never failed a single time run. Like I, I right. and generally like in terms of running, I was like middle of the pack of the class. But like swimming, man, when I was in prep, like I I basically drowned like every single day swimming because it was I was just so uncomfortable in the water. 
and I had, I came from a wrestling background. So like combative sports, like combative grappling. Sure. And, um, so like, I wasn't, I was used to being like very tight, um, other than like in, in like maybe in boxing, but like in swimming, you're like very loose. Yeah. Uh, you don't want to be like tight and bunched up. And, uh, that took me a really long time to like learn, uh, and like how to float. So like I had always grown up in the water, like as a kid, but never mm -hmm. swimming with the intent of like speed or distance. So like I knew how to swim well enough to like get a contract, but swimming 500 meters in a pool is a lot different than swimming two nautical miles in the ocean. And swimming 500 meters in a pool is a lot different than treading while holding like two dive bricks <laughs> right. or treading while someone's like dumping water on your head or, um, treading in a pool with like 60 other people like all crammed next to each other with boots and pants on like that is scary or with like a mask on that's like filled with water and you can't see and you can't breathe and like water's going down your throat and stuff like, like that's scary or like swimming with your hands and feet tied uh that's hard that's really scary uh it takes a lot of practice hmm. um so but like it was amazing like it was it was it was what i wanted to do and, and that was why I do so And that was why I signed up was because like, I wanted to do incredible things. Like I wanted to go through this training. I wanted to like right. become a badass. And like, I like that part of it. Like when I was in seal training, like I loved every second of it. Um, and I unfortunately failed out of it during life saving, um, which was like, it's like underwater wrestling basically. Um, and after I failed out of, um, buds i ended up becoming a search and rescue swimmer which was like ironic because like a really really big <laughs> part of that is life-saving right which is like right. underwater wrestling right. um the difference is as a rescue swimmer all of that training you do in fins with a snorkel uh whereas at buds oh, okay the guy you're wrestling has on fins and a snorkel and you're just like naked basically so right you're at a huge disadvantage. Whereas like the rescue swimmer stuff, you're actually at like an advantage. Uh, so it's like you have a lot more control and power because you have on a mask and a snorkel and fins. Whereas like in the other scenario, it's reversed and you're right, supposed to like right. be the guy that's dominant, like without that stuff. Um, and I just couldn't do it. Like I, I just, I just couldn't do it. Like I literally but they, drowned. But they both fit the application, you know, as a rescue swimmer, that's how you'll be dressed and you're probably yeah. saving somebody. Yeah. Who's well, not. and I like to tell myself that I probably would have been a pretty good seal. I just didn't make the cut. And maybe, maybe that's just like me <laughs> tell like, I, maybe I just have to tell myself that, um, to like sleep at night or whatever. Sure. But I really sure. do like, like deep, I think I'm a pretty, like, I think I'm pretty honest with myself. And I honestly think like I would have done pretty well at the job if I had just made it through. Um, and, but like, that's part of the, that's the pickle, right. Is like making it through this is why most people aren't Navy SEALs is because making it through the training is one hell of a mountain to climb. And anybody that even just makes it through hell week is mm -hmm. uh, very much a very, very, very unique human being. Um, I loved search and rescue swimmer school. You know, that was amazing when, when I, and when I was in buds and when I had washed out, uh, well rolled back because of the swimming induced pulmonary edema, uh, I spent a lot of time like helping with the rest of the training pipeline. So I saw like all of first phase, all, of, uh, a lot of second mm. phase, most of third phase. I saw a bit of uh, SQT, which is seal qualification training, which is like the pipeline after buds. Um, I got to help. Like I spent a bunch of time on San Clemente Island, which is absolutely beautiful. It's an amazing place. Uh, 
And, and that part of my career was actually awesome. Like I loved every second of it. Mm -hmm. I loved the people I was around. Um, it was really just enjoyable. And then afterwards, like I became a search and rescue swimmer. I went to vessel boarding search and seizure school. Those were great experiences. Like the, the training side of the Navy, like, so really like my first year or so, the first year and a half was, was pretty cool. Um, it was just really after that when I kind of got into like the 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 day in day out grind of the job itself that it really started to to show itself for what it was and it, and it really started to suck. Boot camp was mm. stupid. Boot camp was a horrible waste of time. It was like a waste of two and a half <laughs> months. But uh, the next the next year and a half after that was was pretty awesome. And then after that is when it really started to go downhill. Huh. Yeah. But yeah, just just so just so people think I'm not like a just a complainer who has nothing good to <laughs> right. say about anything in life. Uh, I'm really not. I'm a pretty easygoing guy, honestly. Like I, I, and and there was a lot to like, you know, like especially about the the Navy SEAL stuff. Like I, I really loved that program, and it was exactly what I wanted to do. But I'm, mm -hmm. you know, it didn't work out. And my gripes were more with the DOD as a whole, you know, the bureaucracy as a whole, and and right. the way the Navy treated um, buds washouts. You know, like, so it's, it's most highly qualified, uh, highly motivated, successful individuals that volunteered for the hardest job, knowing that it was going to be a kick in the nuts every single day over and over, uh, right. to, to treat those people like human garbage is just not right. Thank you for listening to this episode of how I embraced the South. If you enjoyed the show, tell a friend. And as my Girl Scout den mother used to say, Stay frosty. Yeah, sorry. Well, you'll be able to cut some of those parts out too, right?